Hi, this is Tina Black, and this is the B Series Podcast. Today, we'll be exploring untold stories of transformation and leadership. We hope you'll subscribe and check out the B books and send us your stories of transformation after listening. All right, I am sitting here with Rose Wiener, who quite honestly is one of my most favorite people in this whole world. And she also happens to work uh, with us at the Paul Mitchell School in Michigan. She is one of our uh, learning leaders, we call it. And she also is our very first Ultimate Makeup Academy instructor. And she's been doing that for a while now. And the funny thing is, Rose, what year did you graduate from our school in Port Huron, Michigan? My very first Paul Mitchell school. What year was that that you graduated? So 2004. And the year you graduated, that was one of the first years that we had been officially a Paul Mitchell school. Mm -hmm. And I wanted you to work for us then. I wanted you to teach the Ultimate Face Makeup Academy then. And the funny thing is, it's 2019 and now finally you're teaching it. So better late than never. (laughs) And I'll tell you, my prayers worked because I always wanted you to be a part of our team and thank God that you are here because I feel like you've made you've made a huge shift in our company Rose and I want to thank you for that and I can't wait for people to hear your story this B series that I have Rose is basically about untold stories of leadership transformation I believe your story has to be told because Rose is not only an instructor in our school, but she's also a brand new salon owner. And I can't wait for you to hear about that. And she also owns a nonprofit. And I don't know if you know this, Rose, but almost every single student that comes through the doors that I've been interviewing that wants to be a part of this school has those two things as their top list on their priorities is to open a salon and to also open a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And so I, I can't wait for people to hear this untold story that you have. And I just heard a quote today, actually, that I wanted to share with, with all of you. And it is, uh, Sean Ch- Chido told me this quote today. And he said, when people walk away from you, it's potential activated. When people walk away from you is potential activated. And I feel when I saw that quote, I saw Rose Queen or all that. Because I feel like when people walk away from you, potential is activated. And and so I want to talk about that. Tell me a little bit about your journey and what, how did your transformation start? I decided and um, mm. it was time for me to um, do something for myself. Um, I had a grandmother living with me at the time, and she had Alzheimer's. I was caring for her um, 24 hours a day. Wow. Um, And then the money that I was given for that actually is what paid for my school. So there was a blessing even in um, that being a struggle. It was still a blessing to me. That's what that's what made me decide to go to the school back then. So how old were you when you had your first um, child? 19. Was That was Tabitha? Yeah. Okay. Talk about that because I know there's a lot of women that are listening to this right now and uh, they feel like they've lost their identity. And I, I recall when I had my first child at 26, I was like, who am I? You know, what do I want to do with mm-hmm. the rest of my life? Like, I can't just be a mom. Is this all there is? <laughs> it was that's in exactly my thoughts. Exactly what too. I said. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> even though yeah, and you feel guilty like you have this almost like this shame that runs over you like isn't that enough you know and you're yeah. around all these I was around all these moms that they were happy just being a mom and in my head I'm thinking all right I, I feel like there's got to be more I got to get out get a, get out of the house so mm-hmm. so talk about that what does that mean to you when you say identity I talked to my husband a few times um, and told him that I'd know that I was not put on this earth to just be doing this. And it seemed like everything happened so fast. Um, I was barely a woman and then now wife and mother. Um, Things were really hard. We struggled with um, not having a whole lot of money and now mouths to feed. And so um, your dreams get put on hold. Things that you always thought you would be seem to be impossible because now... Um, you're lucky if you even get a shower and you're barely sleeping five or six (laughs) hours a night. So that just consumes you and becomes who you are. But that feeling still deep down in your soul and your spirit is not just, it's not accepting that that's all there is because you weren't designed for just that. So Mm. um, I still kind of went through the process of the school and the school itself changed my whole way of thinking about um, just what I wanted to do with the rest of my life and then um, I still ended up putting that on hold because I had a lot of fear now I'm here now I've done this what if I what if I can't do it right what if what if no one accepts me or likes my work so that fear kind of paralyzes you and just keeps you almost in a jail cell where you like stick your head out a little bit and look around and and you know you can get involved in minor things but the dreams I had were much bigger than that, and I was afraid to fail at them, so I just didn't do them at all. And that mm. went on for many, many years. Okay. Wow. It, obviously, you didn't have too much fear because usually it takes three to five years to build a clientele, so that's pretty incredible. How do you think you did it? How did you build so quickly? Um, I got involved in a lot of giving back, which I think is really important, and so it kind of puts your face and your name around mm-hmm. everywhere, and people start to recognize you. I've always had a heart for that, so it just naturally fell into those places, and then people would come into the salon um, as a result of that. Mm-hmm. I also developed um, a referral business where I gave um, five business cards with the name of the client that was in my chair, if they were getting a color, they would have to find five people that would come in and also get a color, and then their next service was completely free. So I knew that I was giving mm-hmm. away something, but I was gaining uh, five times what I had. Yeah. And many women, um, they understand even more today how expensive it is to keep your hair healthy and um, maintained. So that's a great bonus for them. And every mm-hmm. woman has five friends. That's how I grew myself a bit quicker. Right. That, that's brilliant. I actually heard something really cool from my sister who's who's a business coach, and, and she said you have to think of your clients as not just a transaction but a lifelong client. Mm-hmm. And the way to do that is to add value to them so that they're with you all the time. So I'm hearing you kind of say that, thinking yeah. I'm not going to just think about the dollar. I'm going to think about uh, that, you know, I lost $200 on this client. No, I'm going to think about I gained a lifelong client because giving them that kind of a deal, they're like, I'm with you for life because yeah. you gave me that kind of deal, right? <laughs> right? And then they're sending people to you too. So I mm-hmm. think that's that's really, really huge. And talk about some of the transformation that happened with you because I know you opened a nonprofit and I also know 
uh, that you fell in the floor on the floor in your salon. Did you did you break your back and neck? What happened? Because for two years, uh, you said that the pain was so indescribable. You split up blood for the next year. You lost a vocal cord. You couldn't talk. I can't imagine that. And uh, people kept asking you, "Did you find a new career yet?" And you said, "No." Talk mm-hmm. about that process. Did the nonprofit start first, or did you break your neck and back first? What was what that was two. 2013? Yeah, I fell um, in the salon on some water. I had um, overbooked myself that day, so I had three chairs at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I remember running around the corner and sliding, and I landed on my back and with my neck twisted. Um, I had an MRI. They said I had a herniated disc. Um, I would come to find out two years later my arms were stuck at my side. I couldn't lift them, so I built a pedestal to stand on so I could still reach the top of people's hair because I'm Whoa, that's only, dedication. Yeah, I'm only five foot tall. They were stuck is. on the side. Yeah, I couldn't lift them wow. up. My elbows were like Did locked. you have an assistant? No. You did all your own work. Yep. Wow. And um, I finally got surgery um, December 9th okay. of, I think that was 2013 or 14. Um, the surgeon came in and said to my husband, I have no idea how she was working, let alone functioning, because she had bone fragments in her spinal cord. And they said that I should have been in a wheelchair from what they saw. I shouldn't have been wow. able to walk. Wow. And about nine months after recovering from that, that's when my vocal cord, um, it just died for no reason, they said. Mm-hmm. And he said that my throat literally twisted to compensate for the vocal cord that wasn't there so that the sound could still come out and he had never seen that before and so I explained to him that he didn't know the God that I know and he still Mm -hmm. had things for me to do yes and um that really was a pivotal moment for me um because of the pain that I went through after the surgery it took me like three months to be able to talk at all because they sever um all of your nerves and your muscles and your your cords get cut when they have to go through the front to your spine to fix it wow and the doctor said you need to find a different career because seven out of the ten things um that you should never do again are hairdresser related and i just couldn't accept that because it took me so long to figure out that that was really Mm -hmm. who i was designed to be and um i wasn't going to let something um, that horrific, take that away. Wow. So actually remove wow. the fear that I have because mm-hmm. I thought, what do I have to lose at this mm-hmm. point? It cannot get worse than this. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when my dreams kind of kick-started, and I made a three-year plan. We sold our big house, um, got rid of a lot. So we downsized um, into a smaller home, started putting savings away. Um, God opened so many doors. It was just incredible watching the journey. And he had said at the end of that with me praying that if you trust me, um, I'm going to take you somewhere different. So the journey continued. Um, We had money um, coming in from different sources. I had my husband had bonuses he'd never gotten in his entire life. Things just started falling into place because we were um, finally doing what we should have been doing. So you could tell everything around us was kind of mm. in harmony with that too. So it was kind of cool to look back and see um, wow. how that came to pass. 
But the cool thing was is that you you pressed on, and despite of what the doctors were telling you, despite what the world was saying, and, and so I know that was a pivotal moment for you and transformational moment. But where did that really come from? And I know you said um, that he didn't know the God that I knew. Talk about that process. Like what was really going through your mindset at that time? Because I remember I just entered inter- or actually interviewed uh, Patrice Washington, and, and mm-hmm. she said that she was just snot nose and tears like broken down uh, because of the bankruptcy that they had to go through and and she was in the bathroom and God just said surrender and that was her word and I heard the word trust just trust me talk through like take me through that moment right now because I feel like someone's listening right now that's really frustrated and feels like they they have a dream but something's stopping them encourage them with your story um, it is true what you said, the uh, word that I heard from God that day. I had the same nervous breakdown, and um, I even contemplated at one point um, not being in this world anymore because the mm-hmm. pain that I w- was going through was so severe, and I couldn't imagine um, spending the next 50 years um, enduring that every single day. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I turned to God in a different way than I ever had before. I always believed, but I still kind of um, led my own path. I felt like if things weren't going to get done, um, if things were going to get done, it was because I was doing it. I had to take care of everything. I had to manage everything. Um, So the key word there was trust. Mm. Um, He said to me, I'm going to walk you like Peter because you have no faith in me. Because I was trying to figure it all out myself instead of... I'm leaning more on him. So um, Hmm. I pressed in um, and finally figured out what it was like to have a relationship with God instead of just believing that there was one. And I think that's where a lot of the changes came because I realized I didn't have to have that strength. I didn't have to have that courage. I was not um, given a spirit of fear, but of Mm -hmm. love and a strong mind and a sound mind. Um, The strength that I needed to do what I was doing didn't need to come from me. So I didn't have to put all that pressure on myself, um, whether I was gonna fail or whether I was gonna Mm -hmm. um, succeed. And I realized a lot from um, just following your journey even over the years, because you've been a huge mentor in my life. And you've always said that um, failure, it's not failure, it's just an opportunity to grow in a different area or a different direction. So sometimes mm-hmm. you're gonna try things out. Um, you might pick one thing that creates a strength in you from it, even if it was something that didn't work out. It's still gonna um, be p- a pivotal moment to shoot you in the direction that you're supposed to go. So if you're willing to, instead of just tipping your toe into the water all the time, sometimes you have to be willing just to cannonball in the deep end, hmm. see what happens. That's good, yeah. And so, um, that's what I did. I just pressed in. Um, the nonprofit actually came out of all of that, too. Wow. I um, endured quite a bit of abuse in my life that probably shouldn't have happened. I know many young women um, have gone through the same thing. Most of us don't talk about it or tell people mm-hmm. that it happened because there's a lot of shame and guilt and there must be something wrong with me. And that's why that happened. Um, more than six or seven times I had to deal with situations like that. And I vowed when I had a daughter that that was never going to happen to her. Um, found out when she was a teenager that it did. Okay. So mm-hmm. it was during all of these, um, all these things kind of came at me at one time. So it was very overwhelming. Mm. But I realized that 
um, me holding myself back was really just keeping me in a jail cell and everything that I knew I had to offer other people was never going to happen until I got out of my own way. So it really was about it not being about me anymore. It was about mm. what other people needed from um, the mess that I had needed to be turned into a message for somebody else. Mm. So the nonprofit I named Beautifully Broken because I believe everyone's beautiful in their own way and we're all a little broken from something that's happened in our lives. Absolutely. So um, my husband and I created that out of, it's out of our garage in our basement right now. We have wow. just stuff packed from one end to the next. He's such a wonderful man. Um, to date, we have housed 19 families, um, single mothers that have come out of domestic violence or um, rape situations. Um, sex trafficking. It's just been incredible to see. Wow. I feel like that's the most important um, message there is other people need to know that someone does care. Mm -hmm. um, it makes all the difference at the end of the day. It gives them that hope to fight through the next day because they know someone's standing next to them. So Wow. We're just trying to make a difference Goodness. in any little way we can. So, okay, you said a mouthful, yeah. and I want to go back to this because I, I agree with you 100%. I believe with crisis comes opportunity, but we don't mm -hmm. know that when we're going through the crisis, all we can see is the crisis. And and so it sounds to me like when you, when you broke your uh, back and neck, uh, when you went through that process, that all of a sudden you remembered, you're like, wait a minute, I have been living with this past abuse and I haven't talked about it when did when did you finally decide to start talking about it like what was a transformational moment for you because I know for me when I was 16 I was in a really dark place I wrote a suicide note I didn't start talking about it until way later years later I become a motivational speaker and all of a sudden I'm like I need to tell people this story. And, and I'll never forget, one of the Paul Mitchell School owners said, Tina, you need to tell that story more. And I didn't realize that was supposed to happen to me so that I could help other people. And immediately I was able to walk people through their dark moments, their depression. I'm coaching someone right now uh, through that process, but I didn't know that when I was 16. I was going through that process, and I do coach people, and I, I always say, well, it didn't happen to you. It happened for you, uh, for other people. So, so tell me, um, when did that hit with you that you're like, I need to talk about this? How long did you keep it a secret, the abuse you um, had? Some of it, 20. 20 some years wow. before I had I was yeah. an adult married had children mm -hmm. um, what the, gave you the courage to talk about it I think it was it, well I don't think it was my daughter um, I feel like I would at that time I, I knew I was responsible for another human being mm -hmm. and our first response as a mom is to protect right right so um, I've always been aware of the world that we live in and there's just a lot of darkness everywhere and so my, I, again, it was fueled by that fear that I had that somebody might do something to her. Mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine if anybody, you know, did anything to her. So that sparked the conversation where I just felt comfortable at least to talk to her. I, I was grown, married, um, mm -hmm. didn't feel like I was that um, naive or intimidated teenage girl anymore. So. Right. It was just she and I in the kitchen talking about it. Yeah, and you were able to finally bring it to light. Yeah. And then you used that story to help other uh, women. Uh, tell me, uh, just 
any story that you want to tell of someone's life that transformed? I think my favorite um, encounters is with a good friend of mine now. Her name's Tanya. And um, when I met her, she was the same as me. Um, just held herself back, very fearful. She didn't defend herself. Things that she knew um, were wrong, that people were doing to her, she would kind of smile herself through it and um, try not to ruffle or cause any problems. So um, I met her on a whim. It was, well, it really wasn't a whim because I had moved like an hour from where I used to live my entire life. And I was looking for a dog groomer. So I opened up the the phone book and said a prayer. Where should I take these dogs? I have no idea. I'm in this huge city. Um, there was 10 times the amount of things to choose from than the small town that I grew up in. And I recognized... Um, a dog groomer with the same name as the one that was in St. Clair where I lived. And so I went there and I met her when I walked in and um, I just knew that there would be more between the two of us um, at a later date, which mm -hmm. it ended up being a really cool experience. Um, I told her my story. She told me my or hers and um, she was living under um, her mother, still grown with two children, um, was just coming out of an abusive relationship. He was still coming around abusing her anytime he wanted to, and she wasn't defending herself. So I think just having the friendship mm -hmm. and her understanding um, that other people have gone through the same thing, I think that's really important just for women mm -hmm. to um, find that they're, they have a lot more in common with each other. A lot of times we can focus on tearing one another down instead of being mm -hmm. an encouragement and lifting mm -hmm. each other up um, our stories really are all quite similar so um, to date she is now on her own um, taking care of herself and her children um, she has a good job her faith is secure she's had um, just a lot of healing over the pain and things that have happened in the past and now she's wow. um, helping me in the nonprofit, so we're all kind of grouping up and oh paying it forward. Wow, that's incredible. That reminds me of so many different nonprofits, and, I, and I'm so proud of you for that. How? What's your plan for this organization to continue for it to grow, and, and how do you find people to help? A couple of weeks ago in the salon, um, a young girl walked in to get her hair done. She lived okay. across the street from the salon, and she just started talking and came out of mm -hmm. a very abusive relationship and so she wants to now help too so I'm meeting with her next week wow. and we're going to talk more about um, so they do really just show up wow so I love the name of your salon because I think it just totally hits home with your ministry and and I heard this from my friend Amy Van Slambrook she calls it a ministry so a business and a ministry so a ministry mm -hmm. <laughs> and so what's what's the name of your salon a more beautiful you a more beautiful you. I mm -hmm. love that. And it actually and, came out of a song. Um, Johnny okay. Diaz sings a song. Okay. A more beautiful you is the name of it. And when I listened to okay. the song, I heard it six years ago when all this started. I realized, um, especially after coming here and reading Wynn's book, Be Nice or Else, mm -hmm. when I think, I think it was the third chapter I got to, it really hit home because it was about um, self-esteem or ego. And it had a lot to do with things we put into ourselves, what we allow our eyes to be on, and negativity, and um, just implanting. It kind yes. of um, it imprints on you, and people don't realize what mm. they're putting themselves in front of has a lot to do with it steering them in different directions, maybe that they weren't, you know, meant to be steered in. 
uh, there's a lot of influence in the media and televisions and movies and toxic relationships and all those things. Mm -hmm. So um, I was even more aware of that when I mm -hmm. came here. Uh, six years ago, we were starting to kind of purge a lot of that stuff out. I don't even watch TV anymore because I just find so much of it is mm -hmm. um, not entertainment anymore. Um, and I heard the song. And it inspired me because it talks about a young girl flipping through a magazine and thinking that she wants to look this way. And her hair wasn't right, her body wasn't the right size, and she always felt overweight. And then it goes to her growing up where she given herself too soon by someone that didn't appreciate her. And it talks about her always wanting to be someone else than who she was designed to be. And I would hear the song periodically over the next six years. Wow. And I actually prayed and said, what do you want me to name this place? Because I know that you are the one that's given it to me and that like people are going to be helped all over Michigan mm -hmm. from this place. Mm -hmm. I just knew that. And um, that song came on the radio that day. And I was like humming it through the house. And I just stopped and said... A more beautiful you. That's what the salon's wow. supposed to be. And mm. then I watched the video and sobbed because it was about two, a mom and a daughter, which is how everything started with me, looking down at this blue-eyed girl that I made. Mm. And it was about their um, them coming to a salon and hairdressers changing, altering, and photographers like making their eyes different, their mouth different. And the husband came in at the end of the video took all the stuff off of them and was showing them that they were perfect the way they were. So I think hair should be a great way to polish your outsides, but it's more about us healing internally mm -hmm. and knowing that what we have inside is like, that's the timeless stuff, the stuff that's built on eternity, the stuff that's precious. And we leave yeah. it like broken for so long that we sometimes use the hair, the makeup to cover up stuff we really just don't want to deal with. So, um, so the salon true. is mm -hmm. not just another salon. It's a movement. Like, we want to be a movement and mm -hmm. change the way people view um, themselves, period. Wow. So I'm excited. That's powerful. That That is a ministry. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I love it. And, and so talk talk through the process of what you're doing in the salon because, um, you know, talk to someone right now that's like, man, I have a dream of owning a salon. And, and I love because you're not just about profit you're about purpose before profit mm -hmm. and the profit will come and and so many people want to get into this business because they're thinking oh i'm making so much money uh behind uh the chair for the salon owner so i should open my own business because i could make more money if i'm not working for somebody first right. of all is that true? And a talk about um, talk about your salon of what kind of struggles you've been going through, and talk about to other uh, people that want to open their own salon as well. Oh, it's too. a lot of work. Um, first and foremost, you should not get to the point of opening a salon unless you are prepared to come from behind your chair. Because there's so many things. That's powerful. Um, you just said something powerful. Repeat that again. <laughs> you should never open a salon unless you are ready to come from behind the chair. You will not be able to oversee your staff, help them grow properly, plug into the type of work that you're expecting because your branding and your name is behind that. Um, the taxes, the insurance, the product, the sale, um, just sales tax alone. There's a lot of business things that um, I think we don't realize 
mm-hmm. um, before we go into um, owning a business and owning a salon. There's just so much more yeah. than just doing hair. It's not, it's not that we're going to play with hair and makeup today. It's completely different. It becomes yeah. like a lifestyle that you have to be business oriented and that has to be first because if your staff isn't raised up and built with the strength that you want them to be, then your business falls apart anyway. So mm-hmm. again, it has to become not about you. It has to become mm-hmm. about the staff. So I think it's a stigma that a lot of stylists put on their um, bosses and the business owners that they're just like a workhorse for them, plugging in, them mm-hmm. in money. Um, because the opportunity comes from the hard work and the branding that the owners put in. And you have the business you have because of how well they have trained um, trained and raised you up to be a strong stylist in the first place. It's an industry that's amazing because you're always growing, it's always changing, you're always evolving, and you can continue to um, be something different every single time, which is what makes it so fun. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to spend a lot of time pouring into my staff so that they can um, find the strength and find find their identity of what they want to be as a stylist. And I think if I was behind the chair working... 10 hours a day doing hair, there would be so many things that would slip through the cracks and then they mm-hmm. would feel that they weren't cared for. Um, and that just wouldn't work. So, right. So there's two different hats. And I love that because we were just at an Anthony Whitaker seminar and he was speaking to salon owners and, and he said uh, that so many people are so more interested in the decor of their salon than they are in planning the back end of the salon, which is the profit and loss statement and figuring mm-hmm. out what their budget is because it's not so sexy. You know, decorating a salon is sexy. Doing right. hair is sexy, right? But looking at the business and crunching numbers, how explain the unsexiness of that like what tell me have you been enjoying that part of the business like um talk about the reality of it how long have you had your salon for and how much time do you actually spend on your business to make it work um we've only been open since february 1st we were fortunate and i feel blessed that we found the building that we could buy because Mm -hmm. renting would have also added another strain um, right. on everything. So it kept our monthly expense lower, which took a little bit of pressure off. Um, I probably spend half of the day worrying about orders and tracking, um, plugging things into the system so that you can um, see where you're at that day or, or where you're not at that day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really important to also know that some of the stylists that you hire might not have any circle of influence. They might not have anybody around, which a few of the girls that I've hired, that's been their situation. So you could go weeks and weeks and weeks with them not bringing really anything in. Mm-hmm. So you, I think it you have to understand that the first several months will be a lot of loss because you'll be carrying the weight of, you know, waiting mm-hmm. for that income to come right. in. And if it takes three to five years to, on average, to build... Um, clientele as a Mm -hmm. new stylist and I've hired all new stylists I have to make Mm -hmm. sure that I have enough revenue put away 
to carry things on the months where maybe it's not there. Yeah. So it, it is. 100%. Definitely. Yes. I was, There's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears yeah. with an owner <laughs> and mortgaging our homes to be able to make this thing work, you know, yeah. taking out loans to be able to make this work. And so my husband and I have three salons right now, and we put up front most of the capital and still haven't paid ourselves back. You yeah. know, it's going to take many, many years to pay ourselves back just on the capital before we're actually even making any money. Uh, paying ourselves back as well too but but we're in it for the long haul because like you it's a ministry like mm-hmm. we know like we're in this like we want to change lives and we want to help uh you know women and men set up themselves a career for a lifetime and i know you and i have such a similar um idea and dream uh, for our people what is your dream for your salon what do you see yourself like give me the big picture vision five ten years down the road what do you see I would love to um, help raise up the women that I bring in. It's interesting because everyone I've hired had their story too. So I I know that it's not a mistake that they ended up with me. Yeah. Um, And I want to be able to help them um, fulfill their dream if they want to own a salon. I would love to partner with them Mm -hmm. and there be more of this movement in other cities and other towns. Like that would be my dream is to have Mm -hmm. more salons open. Yes. I love that. That's so smart. And and I I coach salon owners. I have a next level salon business and many people go through our six month course. I know you're going to be taking that course. And that's what we train. We train every single one of the salon owners. Partner with your existing stylist. Why do you want to go it alone? And and the whole thing is, is one is too small a number to achieve greatness. Why are we trying to go alone? Why don't we grow bigger, faster, stronger, Mm -hmm. right? And so 65% is the last uh, percentage I saw that people are leaving salons and going to salon suites because they want to be able to be their own solopreneur. They want to be able to make their own money and not work for the man, as they say, okay? And so it's 65%. And so we have to think differently as business owners. We have to think, Instead of them leaving, why don't I teach them business and leadership, teach them how to run a salon, show them what it's going to take, teach them how to read a profit and loss statement. Most most salon owners, when I coach them, Rose, they don't even know what a profit and loss statement is. They don't know what their income statement is. Trust me, I understand because years ago I didn't either. Mm-hmm. And so I make it real pretty and colorful and teach them this is what it looks like. We can make it fun. It doesn't have to be drudgery. I'll show you. I'll show you that only 5% of your services, you would order your color. I can show you this, that we can help make you a profitable business because in the end, it's a business. It's still a business and it has to net a profit in order for us to grow. So let me show you how to run this business. It's not a country club, right? Right. And, uh, and so you are so powerful because not many people will take that chance. What what is different about you, Rose, that you would take a chance on your team to partner with them? Like, how did that come about? I think it goes back to that fear that I had my whole life. I, um, it was interesting because one of the first stories I read in Deuteronomy was about the Israelites wandering for 40 years. And uh, I was yes. 39 that year. My birthday yes. was in two weeks when all of this happened. And so it was really pivotal to me because I thought... The only person stopping me is me. Mm. And so 
the same thing would go with expanding my business and helping them to work through the dreams that they want. I realize how much time I wasted, and I look into the eyes of these 20-year-old girls, and they're so full of hope and things that they want, but there's so much fear there, too. So I want to yeah. help them to work through that fear to realize that they don't have to wait 40 years. For mm -hmm. many years, even when we were kind of separated for a season, I still followed everything that you did. Mm -hmm. And there were many things that you tried that didn't work, but now you know they mm -hmm. didn't work. So it never stopped you from trying. So that was really powerful mm -hmm. for me. Um, and I just want to be able to pass that on to other people. Yeah, I love it. I truly believe when you help enough people get what they want, you'll get what you want. And that's what you yeah. saw. And you saw that uh, right away. And, and I love the fact that you're not wandering anymore in the no. desert. Nope. <laughs> I have a complete yeah. clear path. You found your promise. Like I know land. what I want. Yep. <laughs> I love it. That's super powerful. Um, so, Rose, um, as we end this out, uh, what advice do you want to give people that are, are listening to this story that that you and I, we, we have struggled, and I still do time and time again, of limiting beliefs that stop me and just building that belief, what advice would you give people to build their own belief to enter their own promised land as we've been talking about? Um, I think it starts with setting a goal. And if that starts with having a dream and then a goal comes out of that, that's great. But you mm -hmm. need to make it um, visible, attach it to something, whether you write it down or engrave it somewhere so that it reminds you on the days that you stop believing in it. And pick someone that you that you view as a mentor or someone that you um, look up to because you will see their journey that is full of the same things that you're afraid of and the same things that you might be holding your, yourself back from. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's really important and even have more than one. Um, find someone that you can confide in to talk about the things that you're too embarrassed or shameful to talk about um, and move those mountains out of the way. So that you can just see the prize, see what it is that you're aiming mm -hmm. for. And don't be in such a hurry to get it because anything that's worth it takes time. Every road traveled that um, is the means the most will be the hardest thing you've ever done. So having a hard day or failing or making mistakes, it's just causing you to grow along the path and the journey. So it should never be a means of giving up. Just mm. keep going. That's why I picked this year, um, persevere as my word, because I've had so many trials over the last, just, um, the last 10 years, probably the last five, especially, um, fearless was my word last year. And I feel like I've really come a long way of overcoming that. And now I just want to persevere regardless mm. of what happens. Just keep, keep my eye on the prize and keep moving forward. Yeah. I feel like this series is called be persevering because you have been persevering for many, many years mm -hmm. through all your trials and tribulations. I love this. So what's the best way to get a hold of you and to also uh, refer people or to be able to get help with your nonprofit, Beautifully Broken, as well, um, too? I have a Facebook page okay. called Beautifully Broken. Um, we don't have a website set up for that yet, um, but I have a Facebook as well under Rose Queener and then Instagram, roses.beauty.brand. You can message me on either one of them, and um, even if you know of somebody, I would love to be able to bless them and give you any information. If you want to get involved, that'd be great. Perfectly, yes, and we'll put that in the show notes as well, too. So thank you, Rose. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to send us your stories of transformation through www.tinablack.net. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to give it a rating and subscribe. See you next time.